on the way home from brownies. I took my daughter to brownies. We picked up cookies and I definitely bought an extra one for myself. And I, I had two and everyone else had one. And like, it's fine. It was delicious. I don't know. I feel like it's so like normal, normalized for mothers to be like, oh, I come last. Like everyone else should get everything and then I will eat your crumbs. It's like, no, I'm a full human being. And if I want two cookies, I deserve two cookies. So my guilty pleasure is eating delicious things and not being apologetic about it. You're listening to the Embrace Simplified podcast where you will be inspired to unlock simpler, healthier ways to live your life. I'm a corporate ladder climber turned entrepreneur on a mission to help busy women feel their best. I'm bringing you real conversation with all my favorites, and we're talking wellness, relationships, money, business, career, and even parenting. I want you to laugh and cry, learn and grow right alongside me. I'm your host, Kirsty. Let's keep it real. Pour your coffee and turn it up. Together, we are going to simplify our life. Hey guys, welcome back to the Embrace Simplified podcast. I am so excited for this week's episode. I am speaking with Libby from Diary of an Honest Mom. And I love the content that she is creating online. I love her message. I love how much permission she is giving to women and just her ability to make us all feel so seen in this journey of motherhood is inspiring. And so I just had such a joy interviewing her and talking to her for the Embrace Simplified podcast. And now you get to hear it. I want to read you guys a note on Libby's website because I think it really summarizes everything that she does in her mission. Being a mom is hard, and I want you to know that it's normal to feel that way. I want to change the narrative on what it means to be a good mom and remind you that taking care of your kid's mom is just as important as taking care of your kids. I tell stories about my motherhood journey, my mental health, and my trauma so you can feel a little less alone. We've got this. Again, that is taken right from Libby's website, and she has articles and even more support and resources in her blog online. But you know her and love her for her amazing, relatable, so real, it's scary reels on TikTok and Instagram. And so we're going to talk today on the podcast about how she even got into this, this world of content creation, what she wants to do, who she wants to support, and really just a lot of beautiful stories and truths about motherhood. I hope you guys love the episode. I hope that you take the time to leave me a review and let others know what you thought and that you tag at Diary of an Honest Mom and at Kirsty Stubbs on Instagram from wherever you are listening to this episode. Thank you guys. I am so excited for today's guest on the Embrace Simplified podcast. I am sitting down to chat with Libby Ward from diary of an honest mom. She is creating the realist motherhood reels on the internet. She is your online imperfect mom best friend. (laughs) And she's changing the narrative on what it means to be a good mom. She is an influencer, content creator, public speaker, and mental health advocate. And she is here today on the podcast. Welcome. 
Yay! Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. So I, you know, I think it was actually around the time that you visited the county. So I'm in Prince Edward County and I, you started to come up in my feed all the time. And then I was like, whoa, like I, it was one of those like feeds you go looking for. And I started to watch like old, older content too. And I was like totally hooked on your message and hearing your voice, like you are actually talking to us from your diary was like what hooked me in. I was like, okay, well, if I'm having a bad day, I gotta go go and like feel seen because I joke around on the podcast that I was like the accidental stay at home mom, but that is what happened in the last two and a half years. So I relate so much with the content that you're creating. And so why don't you tell everybody how you got to be this like online influencer, TikTok mom. (laughs) Sure. Well, thank you so much for all of your kind words. I also tell people that I was sort of an accidental stay-at-home mom. (laughs) I've never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I've always thrived working. I've always thrived being outside of the house. And it was just never something that was a part of my plan. And then the pandemic hit in March of 2020. And at that that time, I had a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And I had just come out of like the hardest four years of my parenting. My youngest was just a really, really difficult baby, didn't eat, didn't sleep, didn't do any of the things that babies and young children are supposed to do, like didn't talk till he was nearly four. And it was really, really hard. And so anyway, I was working at that time and then we were all sent home. I was working as an educational assistant and I... The week before work was shut down, was in a grade seven classroom, and they were talking about this thing called TikTok. And I was like, what is TikTok? And they were like, well, you do dances and stuff. And I was like, that's not appropriate. You shouldn't be on TikTok. Like, there are like bad people on the internet. Like, this is not a good thing for you. And they're like, it's so great. And I was like, it's not great. You shouldn't be on there. Anyway, two weeks into the pandemic, I was like, I gotta see what this TikTok is. So I opened it up and became immediately addicted. Of course, it's so much more than underage people dancing. It's, you know, community and it was authentic and it was relatable and it was real and it was honest. And it was so many of the things that I craved in my life and in my motherhood and on social media. You know, I really did not like Instagram. The only experience I had had of it is just a lot of comparison and curated content. And my previous experience was inauthenticity. And so it made me feel a lot of shame when I went onto Instagram. So going onto TikTok and hearing moms be like, Today was rough. (laughs) And, you know, we've had chicken nuggets seven days in a row and, like, you know, the hard stuff. So long story short, I became very addicted, started making videos with no intention other than to be creative and to connect with people and be like, I was like, oh, there's other moms like me. There's other imperfect people. There's other people with trauma. So, you know, fast forward a year, I ended up growing somewhat of a platform And then I was like, hey, I'm going to make an Instagram account because they said TikTok might shut down. So that's the only reason I made an Instagram account. In January of 2021, I was like, yeah, I'll I'll post more consistently on Instagram. And it started growing by 10K a month. And here we are a year and a bit later. And I hit a quarter of a million the other day. And so it's all happened very quick. And I started with the desire to be creative and to connect with women, to share my story and to be real. And that's sort of exactly what I'm still doing. And I found more of my voice and more of my message. And so many women who are in very similar situations to me and 
it's not only cathartic for me to know I'm not alone after growing up, you know, in trauma and in poverty and to know I'm not alone and feeling like I don't fit in and to know I'm not alone in my imperfections and all that kind of stuff, but to let other people know, you know, and to use my vulnerability to to let people know there's nothing to be ashamed of because no one is perfect. Mm -hmm. Have you always been this vulnerable? Like do people that know you well or like your spouse, are they like, oh, this is so like this was meant for you or did you come out of your your shell in some way? A bit of both. I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. I've always overshared. I've always said things and then people sort of look at me like, did you just say that out loud? Like that's just something I say in my head. So it's always kind of been a part of my personality to overshare. But I would say that in the first, I don't know, 10 years of my adult life before TikTok, I really did try to mold to different social situations. So especially if it was new people, I always felt like I needed to fit in with them or I needed to live up to a certain standard. And and because I grew up in such a non-traditional way, very nomadic and in poverty and a lot of emotional abuse, I entered adulthood not really knowing what it meant to be average. And so I tried to attain perfection in everything. And I would look to all the people in my life as like the ones who are great at baking and the ones who are great at like dressing their kids well and the ones who are great at all the things. And I was like, I need to be good at all of those because I don't know how to be a good adult who's imperfect. And so I would really try to just chameleon myself to any social situation I was in, to any mom group I was in, to any friendships. And it was really inauthentic. And so reading different books by, you know, Brene Brown, Jen Hatmaker, Glennon Doyle really helped me get in tune with like who I am and like the power of vulnerability. And I started to realize that by sharing my imperfections, even in my personal life before TikTok, it allowed other people to share their stuff. And what I found was that all the people that I was looking to as perfect and all the people I was looking to as something to aspire to, in fact, dealt with a lot of the same things that I dealt with. But because no one was brave enough to say it, we were all just all living up to this like weird standard that like who is setting this standard? So I'd started that journey you know, a good couple of years before TikTok. And then as soon as I was fully myself on TikTok, where I didn't think anyone I knew would find me, I was wrong. The people who really resonated like showed up and I was like, wow, it's not just some people. It's so, so many people who are just craving this honesty and vulnerability. And when I could be honest and vulnerable, it allows them to do the same thing. And then we were just all empowered to be who we are as moms and women and people. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey, a, a full circle journey for me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. OK, so, oh, there's so, like there's so much good stuff there. But, yeah, I hope that people are hearing that the vulnerability gives permission to other people to be vulnerable. And it's so healing for yourself, too. Like in the yes. pandemic, I picked up writing and and became an mm-hmm. author. You picked up you might be talking me into joining TikTok. Like I'm not a TikTok girl, but I'm like, wow, that feels really freeing to not have like curated content and the like the boundaries of Instagram you might just make a TikToker out of me. <laughs> you know, honestly, and they figure out like who you really are on the inside before you do. And the algorithm finds a way to show you stuff. That you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that about myself. And you learn so much about yourself and just connect with people with similar experiences. It's pretty incredible, actually. Every time my girlfriend posts, she posts a lot of TikTok videos. And every time 
I laugh out loud and it's just like being around her. Like it's her same humor. And I'm like, how do you find these? She's like, oh, they find them for me. I was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. You know, TikTok gave me permission to be fully and completely myself. Because when I first started posting videos, like I said, nobody I knew either had TikTok or the algorithm wasn't set up in a way where it goes out to people you know. It's set up in a way to go out to the random masses. And so the people who really align with the things you do and think about and believe and, and that sort of stuff, you get really connected with them. And it's a really beautiful experience to be like, wow, I am really not the only one to think about this kind of stuff or who's had these experiences. And it's so cathartic. It's so cathartic to make those connections and not just be put into Instagram can sort of put you in a box, right? And you're not as much put in a box on on TikTok, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Okay, so your your new purpose, like you're you're doing this to make other women feel seen in their experience of motherhood. So if you could like wave your magic wand and change something for women, like give them, I don't know, relief in some way, what would it be? Like, what do you see? You talk to a lot of women. You're so in touch with like the every mom. Like you, I don't know. I don't even know how you do that because like we each have our own unique experiences, but you really are in touch. So what would you, what do you see? What do you want to like just rid us of? Is it guilt? Is it something else? It's, it's guilt. And it's shame. And those things are so intertwined. And when we feel shame, we end up hiding our truth. And when we hide our truth, we feel more guilt and shame. And it's like this perpetual cycle. So I just really, I want women, I want moms to really see themselves truly and authentically for who they are and what they value and what they want out of this life and to go after it unapologetically. Because it seems like as women, we spend so many years trying to fit into everybody else's box of what good motherhood looks like and what a good wife and a good friend and a good this looks like. And we spend all this time reaching for things that we don't even know that we want. And so for me, I really had to look at my life and say, what do I want? What do I value? Sure. Everyone in town, their kids play hockey. I don't care about hockey. Me too. Oh my gosh, me too. (laughs) And I know it's a social status and I know that like it's this whole cultural norm where we live, but it's like, I don't want to put my kid in hockey just so I can fit into those friendship groups that I don't even know that I want to be a part of. And if you are a hockey person, then do that, you know? And so we're people who love to travel. And so I used to feel guilty that, you know, we'd go to England every year to visit my husband's family. And I'm like, I shouldn't feel guilty. Like that is something that's important to us that we value. And so I spent, I spent so much time trying to like make everybody happy in my life. And in the process, and this is the big thing, in the process of trying to make everybody else happy, I made myself unhappy. And I realized that by going after what I want and by living my life in a way that's fulfilling to me and my family, I may still make other people unhappy but I'm going to make myself happy. And so no matter how you live your life, what you value, what you spend your money on, where you spend your time, who you spend it with, you're going to make someone unhappy. So you might as well make yourself happy in the process. And that is what I want for moms. I want moms to say no to all the crap that they don't want to spend their money on and all the people that drain the life out of them and all the situations that they don't want to be in, say no to the events, say no to the volunteering, and then your yeses mean so much more and you can enjoy your yeses so much more when you can say no to all the stuff that you actually don't 
want. Ugh. That's what I want for moms to do, to find out, to really ask themselves, who am I and what do I want? And just do it because you're never going to make everybody happy. And you and your family is the most important thing. Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's the like, that's the key takeaway. It, you know, it's, I think the pandemic helped me because it eliminated like events, like you talk about friendships, like different things, even what I spent my money on was all sort of taken away. It was like a blank slate and I could like bring back what I wanted to. And I'm like, I really don't want to be in that rink at 6 a.m. anymore. And like, nobody's asking to go to the rink. So <laughs> anyone want to try baseball? <laughs> yes. yes. I'd love I to love sit that. outside in the grass. So that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So if there's somebody listening and they're like, yes, yes. They're like nodding and they're excited by what you're saying, but they're like, now what? Like, how do I... How do I back up from a friendship or how do I do, do I have to sit everybody down in like some formal way and tell them like mommy talkie, like as the example, but like, what do you think? Like, would, do you have any advice for, for sort of like the now what if, if it's about making me happy? Well, I think it starts with two things. It starts with knowing how much time you have in a day and how much is physically possible to do including rest. And it also starts with valuing our own worth and our own needs and our own wants and desires and all of those things. Because if if you don't truly value having a fulfilled life and enjoying the things you do, and if you don't think that you deserve happiness and you deserve fulfillment, then you're not going to be able to execute on anything that you put in place. It's all great to say, oh, you should put in boundaries. You should say no to this. You should let go of that. But if you truly value other people's happiness more than your own, then you're never going to be able to do any of the practical things. So I think if someone is in that place where they're like, yes, I want to do that, I would highly recommend reading books, going to therapy, listening to podcasts, consuming content that's going to help you get to a place where you are like, yes, like I deserve to do what I want to do and live in a way that fulfills me. And once you're there, then the other stuff is going to come so much easier because when you know that your time is valuable, you don't want to spend your one evening a week or month or three months that you get to go out and be social with your friends with a group of people who are going to make you feel like garbage about yourself. And that brings me to tears because I, I did that. I would say yes to so many things. And then I think I have been out of the house in two months and I finally went out of the house and I hung out with my friends and I don't feel like I'm good enough and I feel ugly or I feel like I'm not doing enough or, you know, I should be homeschooling my kids or what, you know, but I, that's not something I wanted to. Or I would just, you know, the people I would spend time around would make me feel not good. And it's not that there was something wrong with them. It's just that that friendship group or that friendship didn't work for me. And so I can only start saying no to things when I was like, no, my happiness actually does matter. And then you value your time. And then you value your energy, your emotional energy. You know, we're all supposed to be there to support one another. But, you know, if you're in a friendship that sucks the life out of you, you have to value your own energy to say, I can't be a part of this. And it's still hard, it's still hard to say no to people, but it's less hard when you actually believe that you're valuable. And from there, I would, you know, make a list, make a literal list of like social time, you know, my relationship, my kids, my work, my things like that. Like, how much time do you want to put into these things? And then pick, it's a matter of picking and choosing. You know, we, we can't do it all. 
that and that's the big thing that I had to learn is I can't do it all. I can't be it all. I can't be everyone's best friend. I can't volunteer at every single thing because then I end up being unhappy doing it. And so once you make that list and you can whittle down what where is it that you really want to spend your time? One of the things I learned from Brene Brown a podcast that she talked about recently. She always talks about boundaries, but something she said was that when you're setting boundaries, you don't have to say, I'm setting a boundary with you. You don't actually have to come out and explicitly say that's what it is. It can be more authentic and it can be more natural. And, you know, like you said, the pandemic was almost a really nice segue into just a blank slate. But if you're not a blank slate, like, you know, there's there's different things. There's different resources you can get to that can help you set those boundaries, but you're not going to be able to do it if you don't truly value who you are and your happiness and your authentic wants and needs in life. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's it, that reminds me like making the list and really like looking at what you're currently doing and what you want it to look like. It seems very aligned to work that like I started years ago around intentional parenting. That was sort of like my first and, and I remind people, like, it took me a lot of years to get to this place. Like, it wasn't something that happened in a few months or even a year. It was like a, a pretty long journey for me. But yeah, it reminds me of intentional parenting. And is that something that you like, is that something that you practice or that you're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to know, because it seems like really, that seems like a very tactical thing we could all be doing to help make sure that we're feeling our best or at least not, like you said, being like in all these codependent relationships. Right, right, exactly. So do I practice intentional parent parenting? It depends on how you're asking that question. I mean, if that is methodology, <laughs> if there's a book that I should have read to be able to say I'm an intentional parent, then, but like, do I think I parent really intentionally? Yes. I only say that because I consider myself a cycle breaker. And so I try to parent very differently to how I was parented and in not a volatile household or reactive. And I try not to yell too much, things like that. So anyway, this is how I've always been since I became a mom eight years ago. And, you know, a year and a half ago, the term gentle parenting sprung up on social media and I latched onto it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a gentle parent. Like, I try and be gentle, just thinking of the term gentle. And then I've since come to this like full circle moment where it's like, oh, like they're actually like preaching a like a specific methodology. And I'm like, I don't know that I'm like a gentle parent by like, I don't like follow everything in that label. I just think that I'm gentle. So I'm like, yes, I'm intentional. But like (laughs) if I had to read a book to say I am, then no. Oh my gosh. Okay. Speaking of books, are we going to be able to see like a book from you soon or what? Where are you going to go next with your beautiful Do you want to hook me? Do you want to hook me up with a book agent? That would be nice. That's, it is my dream. My dream has always been to write a book before I was a content creator for anything. My dream has always been to write a book. So that's, that's, that's in the works, but I mean, it takes time. So fingers crossed that it comes my way. That's amazing. I think it will. Okay, I want to talk to you about guilty pleasures because I think that gives women permission. So I was watching you on Boxing Day and I literally like almost choked because you were holding chips and dip and I was literally on my phone with chips and dip and I was like, oh my gosh, it's like she's in here, like she can see me. What are your, what are your, some of your guilty pleasures or things that you're like, more people should admit that they do this? <laughs> Eating in my car. <laughs> by myself. 
like the sneaky little like fast food that nobody else knows about or like the sneaky snacks. I don't know. That's my like last night we on the way home from brownies. I took my daughter to brownies. We picked up cookies and I definitely bought an extra one for myself. And I, I had two and everyone else had one. And like, it's fine. It was delicious. I don't know. I feel like it's so like normal normalized for mothers to be like, oh, I come last. Like everyone else should get everything and then I will eat your crumbs. It's like, no, I'm a full human being. And if I want two cookies, I deserve two cookies. So my guilty pleasure is eating delicious things and not being apologetic about it. Good for you. (laughs) Good for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like, I have really sunk into like rest, but in in thinking of like my self-care in a different way, like it's evolved a lot. So like if I'm Maybe I am folding laundry, but I'm like having a special coffee. I'm like watching This Is Us and I'm like, this feels really good. Like I'm going to count this as self-care for today. But And it's intentional. Yes, exactly. And and then like the kids might be at school and I'm like, oh, there's a million things I could be doing. But I'm like, this feels really good. And like the storage things that I need to pick up at Dollarama can effing wait. <laughs> yes. Just like, yes. It feels good. And I, I did not grow up in a house where that kind of rest was encouraged. And I, and it was like rest was lazy when, where I grew up. And so it, it felt really bad to do that kind of stuff for a long time. And I'm just sinking into it now. I'm just like, if it feels good, then there must be a reason why I need it because we've all been through like a pretty hazy, crazy, cra- chaotic time in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I, I need that kind of rest. You have also been through some deep grief in the last little while, and you were so real with all of us to share it online. How are you feeling? And how are you like, what are you doing to kind of, I want to say like come through that season because it's not like you're, you get over the grief, but like what's been helping you as you've been going through that? Because everybody is in some level of grief, but some of us have gone through a lot, a lot more intense grief in the last little while. I want to ask you about that. So your question is, how am I doing? Yeah, how are you doing? Can I ask that question? Uh, yeah, you can ask that question. I am doing okay. Every day is different. My coping mechanism, and I'm not advocating for this, is staying busy. So that is something I've always, I want to say, struggled with because it in the past has been something that has been a way to avoid my pain, which is to stay busy. My dad died. I'm assuming that's what you referenced at the end of December. And it came as a shock. And I had a lot of grief, not only around his death, but his life and my life in regards to him and a lot of that. And because of the work I've done over the last 10 years in getting more in touch with my emotions and allowing myself to actually feel the emotions as opposed to stuff them down, I spent a good month to six weeks in pretty deep grief. And like you said, I shared that pretty in a raw way on social media. And I let myself feel the feelings. And, you know, I attach guilt and shame to a lot of my negative feelings, but I worked really hard to be like, no, I'm allowed to be sad about this. No, this is actually hard. No, people really don't understand and really allowing those feelings. And so that was very cathartic for me. Writing his eulogy was very cathartic for me. Being able to share about him and his life online was very cathartic for me to know that his story was out there. And yeah, so those were very hard and beautiful experiences for me. And I would say that 
it's what been about five months now and it's still hard i still think of him daily he's sitting right beside me his urns about two feet away from me right now and you know i think about him and i think about the experiences he had in his life and it brings a lot of meaning to what i do you know I I listened to a podcast, I think it was by David Kessler and Brene Brown, where they were talking about the stages of grief. And David Kessler added a new stage to the, you know, six stages of grief, which is finding meaning. And it's not to say that it makes a a death okay. And of of course, I just want to say that grief isn't just when someone dies. You know, it can be the ending of a relationship. There's a lot of things we can grieve. But finding meaning in something that we're grieving can be very cathartic. And so my dad, for those of who don't know. He was deaf and illiterate. He was institutionalized as a teenager. He was really, he had a very, very hard life from beginning to end. And I think about all of the services that he was not given and all of the access to things that he didn't have. And, you know, I think about how there's so many people in the world who still are lacking support and lacking, you know, mental health support and so many different things in life. And how much better their lives would be with that support. And so in a way, you know, his death has inspired me even more to just to keep doing what I'm doing and knowing that it's going to to help somebody in a way that I hope that he would have been helped in his life. So yeah, I carry it with me and it's, you know, I stay busy and he's in the back of my mind always and sometimes in the front of it and sometimes waves crashing over me and I just keep doing what I'm doing, you know, with him in my mind. So Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm doing okay, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes feel like we're so quick to be like, oh, you look great online. Everything's great. And I, I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, it's still really hard. Like, grief is not something that just goes away. It comes and goes and it hits me pretty unexpected times. So I'm thank yeah. you for letting me ask how you are, how you are. Okay, so I really love that you brought up the mental health aspect. Like I have been in that system and it, it's pretty broken in Canada and and. I think that it doesn't work unless the person that needs the most help has an advocate. And so I was that advocate and I was engrossed in that system for two years and, and got to see how broken it was. And I'm like, these people that really need this result, this, this support and resources, they are not necessarily in a place where they can advocate for themselves. I like, not in my experience anyway. So yeah, it's interesting how I think that one of the things that I took away while you were sharing so authentically was like you were giving me permission to grieve and my situation was different, but, but it was just still giving me permission to grieve. I was like, sometimes I, I hid for like months at a time. Like people would be like, you've been gone from social media for four months. And I'm like, I cannot show my face where you were so authentic and real with us in your, even in your hardest moments. It, and it also was permission to grieve, but it was also like, a reminder of how to be so compassionate. Like you were very compassionate as you were like processing everything about your father's life. So those were the things that you gave me. So thank you for, for being brave enough to show your face when, when I was in my deepest my moments of grief, I was like, oh no, like peace out, deleting the app. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel yeah. sometimes like a pressure? Like now that you have this huge following of people, do you like, oh, shit, I can't take a week off like to be there all the time. Is that real? It's real. Yeah. I'd like to say that it's not real, but it it is real. And because I am so in tune and engaged and like spending way too many hours in my DMs, like 
I know that women are walking through absolute trudgery every day in their marriages, with their kids, in their work, and, you know, the states especially, lack of access to health care and maternity leave and just being oppressed by a system that doesn't value their work. And I just, I hear stories from women every day that literally break my heart into pieces. And I want to help everybody. And, you know, the messages I get from people saying that, you know, my content has changed their life or they went to see a therapist for the first time because of my content, or they had a hard conversation with their husband that changed their marriage because of my content. It's both empowering and uplifting and fulfilling and an immense pressure to keep going. And because I, I have refused to niche down, you know, I talk about everything from the mental load to ADHD to parenting to body confidence. Like I talk about everything. So then there's even more pressure to be like, Oh, well, people followed me because I talked about ADHD. Like I can't forget to bring that in. And so there's all the pressure to like, yeah. Just keep, keep, keep going. So yeah, it's, it's tricky. And so what I do, I tell people is both a privilege, an immense privilege and a responsibility as well. So, and the more eyes I have on me too, it can make me second guess what I'm putting out into the world, you know, and like people love me, I think, because I'm relatable and, and raw and just sort of casual, like even in my stories, but sometimes I pull up my phone to film a story and I'm like, oh, 20,000 people might see this. Like, make sure you don't say the wrong word, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So it, it can be a lot of pressure to be like, oh, don't get canceled, you know? So yeah. And it's those things that I didn't think about. Like, I didn't even know being an influencer or content creator was a job a year and a half ago. So so crazy. Like, it's so interesting because like, I am in no way, shape or form, like have a large audience online, but I, for a long time managed Starbucks online channels. So like I have felt that responsibility of like this really large brand and done everything from like tell people where they can find soy milk on Boxing Day to like, <laughs> you know, responding to to customer service stuff to to posting like really massive campaigns. And it is a weight. It is like all eyes are on you. And I remember what that felt like. Okay. So anything exciting that you can share with us? Anything we should be expecting from Diary of an Honest Mom coming soon? Anything like, will you be leaning more into TikTok than Instagram or any juicy things you can give us? I'm like, what do I want to divulge here? Well, I'm getting more into public speaking. So awesome. Getting on some more stages. I, I have this budding idea that will take a little while, but I want to create a place likely on my website somewhat of a community membership place for people to come together and connect with one another and get more value and more practical tools to help them in their motherhood journey. Like I said, I, you know, I do feel a pressure of, you know, people have expectations and people are walking through a lot and they don't necessarily have the resources or the support they need. And so I really want to create something that is going to give a lot of value to moms and actually help them in their journey. So, I mean, I don't think I've told anyone else that yet, but here you go. Okay. You amazing. First. I'm you get so excited. First. I want to build something more. So hopefully in the next few months or who knows next year. Okay. <laughs> Sometime it's in the works. We're cheering you on. We can't wait to hear more. And thank you so much. Like I, as a single mom, I feel like heard and seen. I think a lot of you know, moms, there's so many different kinds of moms. I think they all 
feel seen and heard on your platform. So keep it up. We love it. Thank you. Thank you for being here too. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Embrace Simplified, the podcast. I hope you picked up some inspiration today and that you take action to feel your best. Can you guys do me a solid? If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. It helps more people find the podcast. If you know someone who needs to hear this episode, shoot them a text right now and share it. I love getting those notes from friends. And I also love seeing where you're listening from. So please keep tagging us online at Embrace Simplified. Don't forget to subscribe so you can catch new episodes as they drop. Until next time, I'm your host, Kirsty. Remember, you have it in you to simplify your life.